Rework is the new book from 37 Signals. It's a business book. It's going to be available on March 9th, uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. We have a special extended edition of the podcast, a conversation that Jason Fried, David Hannemeyer Hansen, and myself, I'm Matt Linderman, that we all had when we were out in San Diego at a recent company retreat that we had out there. Um, so Rework, it's basically a, a playbook for anyone who's ever dreamed of doing it on their own, sort of a better easier way to succeed at business following the 37 signals model uh, we spent a lot of time on it we're really proud of the book uh, if you want more information you can go to 37signals.com slash rework and in this conversation we talk about why we wanted to write the book uh, what it was like working with crown publishing who's our publisher uh, what surprised us along the way and the whole process basically so we'll start off here's jason talking about why we wanted to write the book in the first place originally we wrote getting real which was all about building software our whole process on designing and developing software. And that worked out really well. People seemed to like that quite a bit. We heard from a lot of people who said, who weren't in the software business, who said there's a lot of these ideas that are applicable to, applicable to me, to my business. You know, I'm, I'm a manufacturer of widgets, and I could use some of this stuff. And, and, and uh, so I think it kind of got us thinking that, you know, we're not reaching enough people with this message. We're only reaching software people because the book is tailored towards software. So we should write a new book about business, our take on starting a business, growing a business, or not growing a business. And that's where the whole idea for Rework came from. And a big part of it being the realization that we're not snowflakes. Like the software industry is not special in that sense. The software industry and all the things that govern projects and so on are not that special. Most of the things that make running a good project or running a good company or doing good advertising is universal. It, the ideas and the experiences we had in software could apply just as well to, to all these other industries. Yeah, I think there's also a little bit of a mercenary aspect of it that, you know, just promoting ourselves and promoting our products. You know, we've, we've saturated, you know, our tech circle in a lot of ways. The people who know about us all know about us. How do we reach that, that next level of people who, who would like us or like our products, but, you know, I've never heard of 37 Signals. And I think, you know, this book and these ideas were a great way to get out, you know, past just the bubble that we're already in. Yeah, hopefully. which is another reason why we chose to work with a publisher this time and not self-publishing. Self-publishing, we sold 40, 50,000 or so copies of, of Getting Real. Um, we reached a lot of people, but it was really just the circle that we have. So working with a traditional publisher, we thought, and we still think, that we can reach millions of people, a uh, much broader audience, all sorts of different people who would never pay attention or who would never, number one, even download a PDF or even really know what a PDF book is uh, and actually be able to go to the bookstore and buy one. And also just being displayed front of store at you know Barnes and Noble and Borders, yep. getting mainstream media attention. You know, I think there's a ceiling that you reach when you're doing stuff on your own that hopefully a publisher will help us you know break beyond that. Yep, that's the plan. Um, so I guess maybe talk a little bit about when the first the idea for the book came out. We we started working on the copy before we even had a publisher, uh, but then you guys went to New York and sort of met with a bunch of publishers. What was that approach like? What was that experience like, I guess? It was pretty interesting. It was like, um, I mean, we were obviously shopping around a concept, but it, it's kind of like a, a dating process. Like, there's got to be interest on both sides. So, so it's not just who's no, got the biggest like number. Who, who wants to buy the book for the most? It's not just about uh, who, who can pay the most for the advance or whatever. It was just as much for us to meet all these publishers. Because, I mean, publishing world is full of horror stories of book authors with good ideas getting butchered 
by the publishing machines because they have some idea of what the book is supposed to be. In some ways, it's a lot like venture capital. Like the book publishers make an initial investment, and then in the beginning, it's all, yeah, this is your vision. You can go run with it, blah, blah, blah. And then when it comes down to it, like, yeah, no. Like, let's change this, that, and the other thing until you don't recognize your book anymore. Uh, and we definitely didn't want that. We don't want venture capital in the business. We don't want venture capital in the, uh, in the book we're putting out. So we wanted uh, a book deal where we were going to get guidance, which is absolutely good. We don't know everything there is to know about book publishing, but it was going to be guidance that was in line with what we had in mind originally. It was not going to fundamentally change the book. And I think that was where, even when we signed up with somebody, we thought we had a very clear, and I still think we have a good alliance with, there were still battles over that. So I can just imagine how bad would those battles be if the publisher had been some of the other guys we talked to that weren't nearly as much on the same page as we were for this. Are there any examples of things that people said or did that rubbed you the wrong way or the right way when you were meeting with publishers? Yeah, I, mean, I think it was mostly about, uh, like, there's this, I don't know how to put it, but we, one of the publishers, I forget who it was now, we walked in and they kind of didn't know, they weren't prepared. I feel like they didn't know. It's not that we're famous, nothing like that. It's not when I say they don't know who we are. It's not like they should know who we are, but they should be Do prepared. Do you know who I am? But they should be prepared for like, you know, if they want to talk to an author about a book, I feel like they didn't know anything about us. But they didn't I, do I any feel like work, getting you know? real sold, you know, an impressive number of copies for a PDF or self-published book. So I think yeah. that got publishers' attention. Yes. Just from a number standpoint, but like conceptually, they still might not have known exactly what they were kind of getting in bed with, with, with our ideas and where yeah. we're coming from. I just feel like today it's it's... There's no excuse for not being prepared. Like it's not hard to find out about somebody. You do a search on Google for a company name. You read up a couple things, and like you get it. So it's not like it's not like it's hard to find out background on, on companies and ideas. So I, I felt like a couple of them just weren't prepared. Um, one one of the guys like had to leave early. He had like a doctor's appointment, right. which is like fine. You have doctor's appointments, but then book a time where you have some time to spend with us. So he just kind of left, and like his assistant was left there talking to us, and that was just not cool. Um, and then there was a couple that we really liked that had sort of different models. One was a smaller publisher um, who just couldn't really pony up a big advance. Another one had a really interesting model, like a half, uh, 50-50 split, which was pretty cool. But in the end, we're pretty happy that we won with Crown. We've been very impressed. Crown actually was the only one, too, when we went into the initial meeting. Um, typically, we probably wouldn't like this, but they had like 12 people or something at the, at the meeting around the table which was a little bit intimidating, I think, but also it showed that they were interested and they could take all these people. And they were absolutely prepared, too. Totally prepared. They knew who we were. Exactly. They knew who, like, they knew the international appeal, too, and they just got it, and they had everyone around the table there ready, and that was really impressive. So they seemed like, from a meeting perspective, they seemed like they wanted the book more than anybody else really did. And the other thing was, like, there was these other alternative ideas, which were great ideas, but we already did the most alternative idea. We already did the self-publishing. We're just going to put the PDF online and, and charge for it ourselves. So in some ways, we want to try the, the opposite of that. Let's go with a traditional publisher that can give it the maximum mainstream uh, push. Not the mainstream ideas, because the ideas are still what we have, but they can give it the best mainstream forum. Um, and Crown really seemed to, to have that. And we had an agent along the way, Lisa, too. What's, yes. what's the agent's role in this process? 
so we actually asked, we didn't know how to negotiate with uh, publishers originally, so um, I emailed uh, Seth Godin and asked him for some advice on that, since he'd written a bunch of books, and he recommended his agent, Lisa Damona. And so we talked with Lisa and hired her uh, to, to kind of set up, we didn't really know even what she was necessarily going to do, but we knew we needed an agent, because it's kind of a game, the whole like, negotiating and getting meetings, and we probably couldn't have set these meetings up ourselves. Um, so she, she set up a bunch of meetings with us. She lined everything up in New York and then helped us through the selection process. She fielded early deals and preemptive, preemptive deals and all sorts of stuff and really helped um, us think about who was maybe the best publisher for the book. And, and, uh, and so that's how that went. I don't think we could have done that without someone who knew the industry. Yeah, it's definitely nice to get in. But at the same time, ultimately, you're responsible for what you want. Yeah. There's a number of deals on the table that... There was excitement about originating, but we were pretty like, no, that's not what we're going to go with. Right. If we're going to go this route, we want somebody to absolutely blow it up. We want somebody who's going to spend the marketing dollars to get it on the front table at Barnes and Nobles and Borders. We want somebody who is deeply invested in it. And for us, the best metric for that is how much did they get a pony up for an initial advance? Because if they're in on a big advance, they want to recuperate that. So they're going to spend whatever else needed. Um, to, to get that back, which sort of turns into the marketing and it turns into the attention just of the publishers. Yeah. There's so many book authors I've talked to who get a deal and that's about the support they get. Like they get the initial upfront advance and maybe a few comments back and forth with an editor and that's it. We did not want that. We got the full engagement when somebody wrote a check that big. Yeah. And so then I guess that was um, a year and a half ago? I think Gosh, when, when it was last, that, yeah, August. It was summer. It? it was like yeah. summertime. No, it wasn't last God. summer. So and yeah. the, and so after the deal was signed, I think we had soon soon thereafter like a, a first draft of the book, which was still very rough. Well, no, we didn't. I think that was part of the problem. We yeah. had the idea that In soon the thereafter yeah. we would have an yeah. initial draft. It actually yeah. took us another, I think, six months or something to get from like when we were supposed to hand in the manuscript as we liked it. Until we actually did. I don't remember the timeline there. I think there was also we, we started turning turning in like maybe a few chapters at a time, and it definitely like evolved and mutated from there. I think it was. I mean, th at this point, the book's probably been rewritten dozens of times. It I seems think. like it. Yeah. Um, reworked, not rewritten. Reworked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the the first. I remember. I think after the first substantial manuscript was delivered, we got a letter back from Rick Horgan, who's our main editor at Crown. Um, which was what you know, sixty or seventy pages, yeah. like really incredibly detailed letter, which was really thoughtful. What what was the reactions when we got that back? Well, when I saw that, I'm like, we made the right choice. That was like the first thing I came to mind because uh, someone spent time in that letter and really reading the book and really thoughtfully thinking about everything that we wrote and what makes sense and what doesn't. I, I was really impressed by that letter. Um, and really it wasn't thought. just it wasn't just. It wasn't editing. grammar. Edits. Exactly. Thought, yeah. It wasn't just the grammar. It wasn't just the structure. It was the ideas. He yeah. was pushing back on some ideas and like sort of thinking back to his own experiences and trying to infuse that. And yeah. there's a lot of good stuff. It was there. very impressive. And I think he said that it's the longest you know, letter he's ever written yeah. as a publisher. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, which was all good too. Editing. And uh, so that was, that was good. That was the first draft. And I think that said a lot of the ideas that were, he had, we disagreed with. You know, there were some that yep. we agreed with. Um, I think it's interesting working, you know, rework is a whole book about how, you know, break away from sort of a bureaucratic organization, but crown for 
is in many yeah. ways that kind of an organization. It's a publishing yeah. company that's been around for decades. It's got this huge structure. So, yeah. you know, they know the ideas that work well for a business book in a lot of ways, but in another way, our ideas are sort of foreign to them. And so it's it was an interesting Which balance, I, is I also, think. I think, why we got that many pages back. Because we actually provoked some thinking yeah, in right. the publishers themselves. Like, yeah. well, we're talking about these meetings, and in some ways, we, at times, reverted back to, like, the things we were ending on. Like, we would get on too many people on the call or whatever. Yeah. But it would always sort of, then it would be there. Like, that would be out, that we had these opinions about it, and yeah. it would inform the whole process. What? It seemed like the biggest sort of, not disagreement, but the thing that came back with the 60-page letter was just kind of, who's this book for? So is it for is it for entrepreneurs? Is it for um, people who work at big corporations who are stuck in a cubicle and they can't get out? Is it for managers? Is it for CEO-level people? And Crown wanted the book, I think, to have a much broader appeal originally. I think ultimately the book does have a broad appeal, but I think we did it our way in the end. Um, but that was one of the early sort of disagreements or, or discussions, I should say, about like who's this book for? And one of the cool things that we that we learned was that in the business in the business book world, apparently, entrepreneurial books are like frowned upon. They're like on the bottom shelf, and no one pays attention to them. I think it's just a demographics issue. Like how many people identify themselves as like entrepreneurs versus how many people work well, at it's a, also a huge a, company. How many shitty entrepreneurial books are out there? Right. Like, it, it was cool because we learned that point and I think hopefully we we are going to change that well also yeah I think then then crown was trying to steer us away from that right and our reaction wasn't oh you're right books for entrepreneurs are, are dumb we shouldn't write that it's like yeah. well that sounds like a wide open market you know like, totally. like there hasn't been this book that has you know nailed this idea that you can you know that doesn't have to be Hard. you know a Jack Welch book or yeah. Jim Collins book for you right. know a, a fortune 500 company or manager that right. you know there can be a great book targeted at Someone who's never read a business book before. And I also, I always love this idea that just because somebody else did a category or a product badly, it can't be done. What yeah. bullshit. Yeah. I mean, we always go back to Apple and like the tablet or something. Now we're going to, the iPad is coming out. Everybody's hyper excited <laughs> about a category that it existed for what, five, seven years? Yeah. No, people are excited because somebody's going to do it right. Yeah. The same thing with the phone, the same thing with yeah. iPod and a bunch of other products where all of a sudden, a stale, uninteresting category is made interesting again because somebody comes in and does it right. Yeah, totally. So that's exciting to us. That was that was a cool debate that we had to have, and, and uh, that was the first big pushback. And so, and I, we had. I think tied into that, there's also like a dilution that can happen in a way. Like you know, Crown, I think in some ways was looking at it from a marketing standpoint or an audience sure. standpoint. Let's reach as many people as as possible. Let's appeal to as many people as possible. Let's how can we make this book, you know, let's say I am inside a big company and I work at a big company, how can you make this book appeal to me too? Yeah. And this idea, you know, was we pushed back a little bit that like, okay, well, maybe this book isn't appealing to everyone or isn't written for middle managers and entrepreneurs. Like maybe we're just going after this one audience. And you know what, if we spark enough of a, a flame with that audience, these other people are going to want to read it They anyway. won't be able to ignore it was kind of the idea. Yeah, let's kind of make it have a groundswell of, of, of tension on the book. And, and, uh, and if, if the individuals, if entrepreneurs, if small business owners, if people who work at big companies start reading this book and the, and the word gets out and the buzz gets out, their managers are going to have to read it. And the CEO level people are going to have to read it because that's just where the, the power is. So, And that's why we kept that sort of revolutionary edge. Starting out the book, not with the easy to digest, everybody can behind, get behind, oh, 
meetings are bad. Right. They are, and yeah. we have some specific reasons for why they are and what you should do instead, but that's too easy. Yeah. And you got to start with something that's a notch or two higher than that, and that's why we start the book out with all these takedowns, shooting down ideas and so forth that gives the book sort of a revolutionary edge and is more of a manifesto than it's just about how can you be 10% more productive at your corporate drone job. Right. Completely uninteresting right. to us to, to dive into that. I mean, that might ultimately be what you take away, and that's okay, but at least we took a shot at inspiring you for something greater. And that's one of the things is, is uh, one of the takedowns is on entrepreneurship itself, on the word entrepreneur, which is probably my favorite takedown because I think uh, that's one of the reasons probably entrepreneurial books don't do very well is because a lot of people don't identify as entrepreneurs, but they're in business for themselves or they're an artist and they could be selling something. So we take down the whole term entrepreneur as an old term full of baggage, uh, a very exclusionary term. And, uh, and I think that that hopefully will help people understand that they don't have to think of themselves as an entrepreneur to actually be in business or do something for themselves and enjoy it. I think also <clears throat> we did actually, you know, try a little bit to appeal to, you know, okay, if you want, you know, because Crown asked us very specifically, let's, you know, you got to reach out to people who are in a bigger organization or yes. not entrepreneurs, not starting their own thing. And we did sort of make an attempt to pull in some anecdotal stuff from, you know, other sources. And as we got into doing that, it just kind of felt wrong. It felt like we were not speaking with our own voice anymore, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we were trying to reach these people. But all of a sudden we were kind of bullshitting. We were talking about something that wasn't our, our lives and that we weren't really experts on. And, you know, I, I felt like that was a key moment too, being like, you know what, maybe there's a point to trying to reach these people, but it's not worth losing our, you know, authenticity and yeah. what we actually know and experience. I think the answer is we will reach them anyway. They will be reached. But part of that feedback that was good from Crown was um, bringing some other examples outside of your own business. So we did pull in a bunch of examples like Zingerman's and Whole Foods and Southwest and Best Buy, or I think. I don't remember all of them, but there's a lot of examples from other businesses besides ours. And I thought that was good feedback because we didn't initially have a lot of other external examples. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what else sort of evolved over time. I think in the beginning there was a lot more tech-specific examples or, mm -hmm. or talking about our own products. And I think in the end there's very little yeah. actual discussion of, you know, 37 Signals stuff or, pro or our product or, or programming. These or ideas are so much bigger than just the tech world and so forth. Yeah. But at least they started out with a foundation in our experiences. I think this is one of the key things that make me hate a lot of business books. Because they seem like they're written about Experts talking about things that they didn't actually experience. They're theorizing about how things might be out of sort of a different set of experiences where we're just saying, hey, this is what we learned. This is what we took away. This is how we change how we do things. And this is why it's better. It's not about, well, if I was running a 100,000 people company, this is what I would do. Because that would be bullshit. There's so much every single day. That, that we changed just based on the, the feedback and the experiences we get from trying things. And the only way to get to that insight is by actually doing it. If you're just theorizing, if you're just guessing, then that's all the things we're ranting against. We're ranting against like the plans that aren't anything but guesses and the misplaced sort of authority that these things and these documents sometimes have. And I think it just becomes very easy if you start to consider yourself an expert to think that you have expert opinions on things you haven't actually experienced, which I think is largely a sham. Uh, <clears throat> maybe we'll get into talking about the actual process of, of how the book was written. 
Um, so I think we originally started with uh, going through, you know, getting real. What are the ideas from getting real that would apply to a larger audience? Then going through, you know, we've got years of blog posts at Signal versus Noise, uh, the presentations that you guys have given, you know, speaking at conferences, um, a lot of those videos going through and, and sort of collecting, you know, sort of all these ideas that have been accumulated over the years. And that was like a huge amount. And then there's at that point sort of more of a refining process or editing um, and getting all those into one one big book. And then really the three of us meeting in a room and then really starting to hammer things out, which is I think when when the book really started to take shape was when we started having those meetings where we'd actually be like, OK, here's this chapter. Let's read it aloud. And uh, I don't know. You guys want to talk about yeah, what, absolutely. What that I process think that, like? um, that's the only way to write a good book. A good book can't be written per se. It's got to be extracted. It's got to be a collection of things that you've sort of already knew or already experienced, which is, goes back to the same point of not trying, trying to guess or theorize. We're not just sitting down, hey, let's write a book about business. Like, that would be such a, so on us. We sit down and say, hey, here are all these things we've learned over the past seven years. I'm sure a pretty good book could be extracted from this. If we started cherry-picking the best things, if we started just putting the ideas in order, it's not about sitting down at the table and trying to come up with the ideas, because that doesn't work. The way we come up with the great ideas is by trying it, is by doing it. I mean, the inspiration for the entire book is can basically be looked as the history of 30 Cent Signals. All of these things that we realize, you can pinpoint to some date. Say, like, that was uh, 2004, February 5th. We had this call about why this wasn't working, and we were like, damn, that's, that's it. That's the insight. So you got to be collecting these insights, which is also why sitting down and thinking you can write a book in nine months about something where it's not a collection of insights you previously had is terrible. Nobody can produce that amount of insights per month. Like, we needed seven years to get here. Or ten years, or whatever. And I think also during those seven years, generating stuff all along the way. You know, all those blog posts, oh, yeah. all those speeches, uh, every step of the way. You know, sort of collecting these ideas and putting them out there, and getting feedback and seeing which ones are hitting with people and 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 where where the traction is. Right. The book was kind of already written, really. I mean, we, yes. we basically edited ten years of experiences right. down into something that can be put on paper. But the book has been written. It's been written. It's out there. And in many ways, people could go if they wanted to, and scour our archives and not buy the book and just like look for all the things we've said over the years, and that's totally fine too, of course. But it is just, like Dave was saying, a collection of experiences that we've had, and we're just kind of putting them together. We were acting as a curator. Like we were taking all the art pieces we've produced over yeah. the year, and then we were putting it together in one collection that had sort of a unified theme, it had a flow, it had all of these things to make it easy to digest. Uh, which I think is actually pretty amazing. Like that we could take... A ten years, seven years history, and sum it up into a book that you could basically read in a day. Yeah, that's one of the key things. It's short, but I'm actually curious to hear about your experience, Matt, because because you were kind of the person who pulled all these things together. You pulled video videos that David and I did, and watched them, and pulled out ideas, and looked through blog posts. And, and David and I have different writing styles, so I'm kind of curious, like, what your experience was getting this whole mass of stuff and putting it together. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely. That was maybe the, the biggest chore aspect of it was at that beginning when you've got just like a, a blank screen and it's like, okay, so now, now let's go through seven years of content and try and figure out where, where the gems are here. Um, 
which I think, you know, but like you said, I feel like it was a, just an editing process where it's like, you know, uh, that to me is whenever I work on anything, like just get everything into one area in one sandbox where you've got it all and then just start playing with it and figure, you know, reordering stuff. And um, I think from, you know, from a writing standpoint, like the tone of it was interesting. I feel like when the three of us got into a room, that to me was, you know, even though we've all been working together for years, that was, you know, something that I learned in this process was really being able to write in, in a, a way that like sounds like 37 signals. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like each one of us might have our own writing styles in a way, but there is sort of like a voice of who we are and, and getting our ideas across. And it's, it's a very no bullshit sort of way. Like, you know, like I think I, I've learned along the, you know, any, any word that even sounded vaguely, you know, sort of fancy or academic mm -hmm. sounding was, was like out. It's like, yeah. if we don't talk this way, we don't want to write this way. You know, everything had to be like conversational. Every idea had to be something that we experienced. If it's something that, you know, we just read about somewhere else, but we haven't actually experienced ourselves, that shouldn't be in this book. If it's something that's been said before, you know, we had, you know, a, a piece that was kind of mentioning the paradox of choice and, and right. Barry Schwartz's right. book, which is a, a, you know, a great book, a great idea, but it's like, it's been done, you know, yeah. it's out there. Like what, what are we bringing that's new to this? If it wasn't something that that we felt like we were offering something new to people, you know, mm -hmm. it's like we don't need to rewrite a Malcolm Gladwell, you know, idea or yeah. um, like maybe uh, non-consumption is one idea that we did bring in that Clayton Christensen's talked about, but I think we have, you know, maybe a, a, a subtly different spin on it or, or our own experience that we can talk about. So, uh, you know, to me there is sort of like a, a distillation process that was happening there. We're just trying to get to something more and more pure with each each refinement, each time we did it, like, let's sound more and more like us. Let's only talk about something that we've actually experienced. Let's throw out anything that's being said somewhere else. And each time we'd go through that process, I think we, we got to something more and more concentrated and like sort of a, yeah, like a, a pure, here's the essence of 37 signals in our ideas. And I think a big part too was we weren't going to put in filler. Like there's so many business books that have like maybe five good insights. And they're great insights, and they would be lovely in a 60-page book. But the way the book industry works, they have to stretch that out to 300 pages. And it kills the insights. Like, when you have something really distilled, something uh, that's high value, and you just keep pouring water into that, at the end, who the hell cares what you started with? You're just going to have a glass of water that might, at one point, have some insights floating around in there, but you can't taste it anymore. There's nothing left. So I've read a few business books like this where you read through the first third and you see like, wow, this guy's packing punches. And then you just get into, all right, this is when he was done. Or this is when he was supposed to be done. Yeah. And then you have two thirds left that's just, God, I don't want to read this. So we just wanted to make sure that every single essay in the book really stood for something, really fought for something. We had a moment though, like the second to last draft so our contract said 40,000 words. Our second to last draft was 57,000 words, which the publisher was excited about because long books probably sell better because they're heavier and they look thicker and the whole thing. a price point too that they can price buy point, for yeah. a longer book. And, but our last final draft we turned in was 27,000 words. So we cut from the second to last draft to the final draft, we cut half of the book out. And that's when it got good. Before that, it was like some other business books. It was a little filler There's, heavy. Yep. It was like... There's we, lulls. Like yeah. we just want to hit high points all the time. Every time, because there were some, there were some essays. So the book is made of ninety essays. I think there's ninety, and they're about a page, page and a half, some maybe two pages at most. So they're short reads, but there were some that were like we were just 
repeating ourselves to make them longer. And that was, we saw that at the end, that that's no good. Um, so we, we turned in a book that was much shorter than we were supposed to. Um, and the initial reaction from the publisher was, this is too short. Like, this isn't, you know, you got to figure out a way to say more. I, I think they just saw the word count and had it read it. Right. They were that's, just like, well, no, you, this is too short. You that's where I was going with it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that, that's the natural reaction because that's what they're used to. And we just said, read the book. Why, like, the book publishing industry better be more than just how many words you have in the book. Like, what is the message good? Does it make sense? And so we had them read it, and they really liked it. And so then we had to come up with another way to thicken the book a little bit um, because there, there are some realities when it comes to the thickness of books and the whole thing, which is something you have to kind of learn when you're an author. You don't really, you're like, that's stupid. But then you do see some thin books, and you're like, okay. I kind of get why I would, might not pay 20 bucks for that or whatever. So um, that's where the idea of the illustrations actually came in. Although we sort of had this idea before we even started writing the book about doing these notes, these sketch notes. Um, but uh, that's kind of where the idea of, you know, we don't want to fill the book up with extra words that don't add any value. But maybe we can add something to the book that does add value. And that turned out to be original illustrations. And I think, you know... You want to talk about Mike Road and how yeah. we, we first met him? And so we hired a guy named Mike Road, who's out of Milwaukee. And um, let me shut that window. I'll start over. Or do I not start over? Uh, I'll just go. Screw it. Um, so we hired a guy out of Milwaukee named Mike Road. Mike Road is a guy um, who does these things called sketch notes, which are, he takes them in real time at a conference or something like that. And there are notes like everyone else would take in a notebook, but they're actually drawings and like a lot of fancy typography, but done by hand. And they're really cool. It's a really great way to, to see um, or to, to kind of experience a talk without actually being there beyond just simply taking text notes. Anyway, so I liked the way they looked, and I thought they, they worked really well. He did, uh, he did um, we have this conference called the Seed Conference. He did two Seed Conferences. He did something at South by Southwest. He's done a bunch of things. We really liked his style. And so we contacted him. And he him. knows us well. I think there's something nice, too, about yeah. not just finding some random person who'd never heard of us before, but right. someone who's you know, yeah. attached to the ideas in some way, too. Yeah, and he's local. He's in the Midwest, so that was cool, too. And uh, we just liked his whole thing. And so we asked him. Um, the publisher actually presented a few ideas for illustrations. Um, and they weren't, they weren't bad, but we just didn't think that they really captured what kind of what we were after, um, which is sort of still rough. We still, like... The sketch thing is a lot more us than like polished design. So um, we emailed him and asked him if he was interested. He said absolutely. And, and Crown, we convinced Crown to let him have a chance at it. So we mocked up a few sample illustrations alongside book content, and they really liked it. And so we uh, we hired him to, to do the illustrations, and uh, that was a good process. That was fun. And they came out great. I think it really changes the tone of the book too. You know, yeah. I think part of what I like about the book is it's a business book in some ways. For, for people who've never read a business book before. Yeah. And I think the illustrations really kind of get that across. It makes it seem a lot more approachable. It's not something that you would see in 99% of other business books at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that's cool about it. Yeah, so we're really happy with them. They came out great. That was a fun process. And Mike just wrote a post, which we put up on Signal versus Noise, our web blog, about the behind-the-scenes process of illustrating those. So if you're curious, you can go to Signal versus Noise and search for rework illustrations, I think, or illustrating rework or something. You know, you'll find it. Um, so I think I remember there was a couple of things that, you know, we were like, oh, this is the way a book has to be published was, was the idea, and, and we pushed back, like the mm -hmm. idea of a copyright page in the beginning. We were just kind of like, we don't 
screw this. Yeah, let's, you, let's you, not have a copyright page at all. Yeah, you open a book. You go to a bookstore. You open a book, and it's like fifteen pages of crap before you get to the book. You get to the actual content of the book. It's like there's a couple blank pages. There's a dedication page. There's a a copyright page. There's a title page. Like the, the cover is the title page. What is this title page thing? Why do you need a title page? Like there's all these things that it just seems like that's the way it's done, and we're like we're not going to do it that way. And, and so we wanted to get to the book as fast as possible. So you open the book, and there's one page of testimonial quotes because we don't have any on the back cover, which is something else we did that very few people seem to do. We actually designed a back, we actually designed a back cover. We didn't just put text on it. We designed, although Crown designed it, we can talk about that too. But the back cover looks good. You open the book, you page basically one page to the table of contents, and then once you're through that, which is like two or three pages, you're right into the book. Um, the standard copyright pages at the back of the book which I've never seen done before either. And Crown was very cool in that they said, hey, you know, there's no real reason why we have to have it at the front. Let's put it at the back too. So, so they, were, they were pretty receptive to some of those ideas. Um, you can talk about the cover a little bit. Yeah, the design process of the cover. Yeah, so the cover was designed by Crown. Um, I'm trying to remember. We looked at a bunch of designs. Their initial designs were, I think they used the paper the crumpled paper idea was part of one of the initial designs, but right. it was either on the back or it was too fussy or there was other stuff layered over it. Um, and there was some other stuff with like other office stuff like paper clips and some other things. And, and I think we really gravitated towards the, the idea of crumpled up paper. Actually, I remember one of the original designs was the front, the front cover was a, sh a sheet of paper, uncrumpled, and the back cover was crumpled. And we just thought the crumpled paper idea was great for the idea rework. Throw out what you're used to and... You know, try something new. Iconic too. Yeah, it's very iconic. It can be used in a lot of ways. So, um, it reminds me actually in some ways of the uh, that spoof video of what if Microsoft had designed the iPod box, right. Right. where you see like all the stickers and all the shit that usually gets put on a regular book. Yeah. And we were trying to design something that didn't have all that stuff. Yes. That just had like the title and iconic image and. In many ways, I like the backside even more than I like the front. Yep. The backside just has, how many is that, seven or something? Yeah, like ten statements or something. Sen seven or ten statements. Yeah. That's it. And then, of course, there's the barcode at the bottom, but that's it. Like, there's nothing else there. It's just a big, nice, blank space with these seven statements in yep. different heights. And, and the statements are book, chapter, or essay titles. Right. And that we really liked provocative ones like planning is guessing and emulate drug dealers and fire the workaholics and those sorts of things. So, but I'm thrilled with the design of the cover. I think it's a great, great cover. And that was a fun process. Um, there was a lot of back and forth, but it was good. We talked a lot about the type, um, and uh, that was a great process. So maybe we could even talk. We can maybe interview uh, the Crown cover designer for another podcast or SVN or something and talk about that whole process where they came up with the ideas and. Back and forth. How about the video trailers? Like, then mm. where did that idea come from? So, we also did these video trailers where there's going to be three so far. I don't know when this podcast will go up, but there's two out today, but there'll be three total. And the idea there was to uh, do like treat the book like a movie, sort of. Um, how can we do these little video trailers, like a minute long each, to communicate one key idea from the book um, and use the crumpled paper as like the star? So, the first one was someone working at a desk and then peering over and it's five o'clock, it's time to go, they close their computer up, they turn around and there's the passive aggressive asshole worker, co-worker who just stays late every night and makes everyone feel bad about, about the fact that they're leaving early. And uh, he goes on and drones on and then like the guy you know, who's leaving just takes a crumpled piece of paper and throws it and hits him in the face. I'm like, just go away, man. Get, 
get out of here. And there was like 30 different ideas like that, right? That yeah. We were working with Crown, or Crown, with Kudal. With Kudal Partners. So Kudal Partners uh, did the videos for us. They filmed the videos. But yeah, we went, we used Basecamp, threw a bunch of ideas up, and we had ideas, they had ideas, and we kind of distilled it down to the three that we were most excited about. And that was the, the throwing paper at the guy's face was one. The second one was a um, conference call, like zooming in on a polycom in one of the star conference phones. Well, someone just droning on about how this meeting is being set up to prepare for the next meeting and you should read the pre-meeting packets in front of you and all this crap. And then the, the camera pans. So you're just zoomed in on the, on the conference call phone. Then you, then you see the, pan, the camera slowly pans back and it reveals the conference table where people should be sitting. But instead of people sitting there, there's just crumpled pieces of paper in front of each chair, um, which is like, I'm done with this. This is all bullshit. I'm out of here. So that's kind of that. And the third one, we'll just wait to see when that one comes up. Uh, it was a blast, though. Yeah, it was really fun. We hired a great actor to do the the past progressive guy. He also did the voiceover for the conference call. It's a local Chicago comedian um, who who did a really good job. Uh, and by the way, just the set there. By the way, it's funny because this the set for the one where the guy was the paper was thrown at the person was actually in the basement of our building. It's the manager's office for the for the basement of the office building we're in, and it looks like a set. It's like all gray. It's like if someone made the worst possible work environment, it would be it. It's like gray carpet, gray walls, um, cubicles, like crappy, like yellowed glass that's just been there forever. Just a terrible and like stained carpet. It was just terrible, but it was perfect for the videos. Uh, and one more thing, actually, yes. we did on Twitter. We actually at, we wanted to get a conference room. We don't really we didn't have one that was good for this, so we put up on Twitter. Anyone in Chicago have a conference room we can use to do the filming and. Uh, Actually, forgot who who said it, who hooked us up with that. We'll have to thank them some other time. But someone said, "Hey, you can use our conference room." So we went there and shot the conference room video. All right. I feel like this has been a good talk. Anything else book related that you think would be interesting to listeners? Well, I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about um, getting the testimonial quotes. I thought was mm -hmm. kind of a process because we didn't really know everyone personally who who. Um, who gave us quotes for the book and the quotes you know we send out pretty advanced copies to some people and and if they like the book and they're kind enough to send them back they just send them back and we were really pleased with with the ones we got i mean we got one from tom peters who we never met who's a famous business book author uh, mark cuban who we'd never met said something very nice about the book so that was kind of a good process i think the lesson there is just just ask people don't feel like anyone is above you or that someone's untouchable or unreachable just ask them like I never thought we would get Mark Cuban to give us a comment, but I like Mark Cuban, so why not ask Mark Cuban? And he gave us one, so that was uh, that was great. And that's all about that. But. Yep. Thank Anything you. else? Yeah. I think that's good. Uh, what's the next book going to be about? I don't know if we want to do another book. <coughs> ask us in seven years. Yeah, we have to learn something new. I think that's the big thing. I mean, there's some things we've learned since this book's been published that's not in the book. But maybe just three things, you know. So we'll have to amass another set of experiences, and uh, and then maybe we'll have another book. And I think that's why contact. sort of the multi-book deal thing is is bullshit when it comes to people not writing fiction. If you're supposed to write advice and so forth, like setting up a multi-book deal out the gate doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. How do you know when you're going to have a new batch of good insights? How do you know when you're going to have something interesting to write about? You don't, which of course why the second, the third, and the fourth book are uh, often pretty thin in in terms of their insight per page. 
And I think this actually reminds me of a lot of artists. So you have a lot of artists who play music for a long time and then they put out their first album and it's amazing. Of course it's amazing. They've been working on that thing for 10 years uh, before they got the deal. And now they have a three album deal and they got to put out another fucking album in 24 months. And like, are they going to come up with the same quality and depth? Some can. Only some they're do. super good. Exactly. Like none of those. Like there's, very, very few. There's tons of artists yeah. who just have one awesome album in them. What's yeah. wrong with that? What's wrong with contributing one awesome piece of uh, collection of music to the world? Nothing wrong with that. But that's usually just not how record deals work, and it's not how book deals work. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is the contribution that we have for now. Mm-hmm. Like setting up that initial expectation that there's going to be more just doesn't make any sense. If there's more, there'll be more. Exactly. It's simple as that, yeah. And that'll do it for this special rework-themed episode of the podcast. If you want more information on this podcast or previous ones, or want to see any related links, go to 37signals.com slash podcast. All right, see you next time.